Welcome to the JD Power Travel Podcast. I'm Michael Vermillion with JD Power, and with me today are Mike Taylor, who leads our travel practice, and Andrea Stokes, who's our practice leader for hospitality. Jenny Corwin is um, out uh, for this one. We'll have her back next time. So, Mike and Andrea, welcome to the podcast. Well, hello. Hello. So, Mike, why don't we kick it off this time with um, uh, the airlines and the recent uh, announcement by Delta that um, uh, they've got 17,000 voluntary separations by the end of this month. Uh, so I guess the, you know, the question is, if they're letting go of that many employees, what, uh, is the, uh, what is the implication of that for the future of the industry? Well, the implication for the passenger is simply because when, they, when the CEO of Delta Airlines says we're going to run a smaller airline, he not only means the number of routes that are going to be available, but probably the aircraft as well, because it just makes sense not to try and fill a 737 especially if you don't have the crew for it. So if they're laying off 17,000 people, it's going to probably be tip the preponderance of aircraft to the smaller aircraft because they just won't be able to book as many people on a single flight um, as they would in, during a normal demand period. So uh, it, as far as being the actual in-flight experience, it probably won't be that much different. So will probably have the same crew members, um, number of crew members, on a particular flight, but you're more likely going to get a smaller aircraft, a CRJ, a commuter jet, or an ERJ, or something like that. And we found in our data at the JD Power um, airline study that you know that's a real hit or miss proposition. Some people don't like, some people dislike smaller aircraft, uh, and some people like them a lot. Um, part of it has to do with the on-time performance. Uh, it's easier to get on board and um, you know, get everybody seated on a smaller aircraft than a larger aircraft, and it generally has a little bit better on-time performance and usually shorter flight as well. Um, so as far as the entire impact on the industry, I mean, they're really going to have to adapt financially to the demand post-COVID, and it's going to be very herky-jerky, at least that's the prediction, as to what they're going to be able to fly and when they're going to be able to fly. And so, but it's, I guess, a good thing that 17,000 people took a voluntary uh, reduction or re- voluntary um, separation from uh, Delta rather than having to go through a forced layoff process. Uh, but it looks like that everybody's basically in the same boat. And some of the smaller suppliers, like WestJet, uh, for example, uh, seem to have at least in their forecast that they'll be flying a lot of flights for the mainline carriers. And then also brings in some, uh, you know, the typical kind of franchisee behavior, you know, you don't have exactly the same crew with the exact same kind of training and equipment uh, on some of those flights as you would on the mainline flights. So that also may um, affect especially the more frequent passenger uh, who is more of a loyalty program member because the mainline carriers really do cater to those folks and the subcontractors uh, don't have usually have the kind of handheld equipment, you know, where they can identify people and recognize them as a loyalty flyer. So those are the trends that that people at the moment are foreseeing as we adapt to this COVID and post-COVID environment. Yeah, it's, that's interesting, Mike. So, uh, are there also potential implications in terms of market share in the industry? So, with Delta downsizing, are we going to see it's kind of a change in the pecking order in terms of who's the largest airline and the number two and the number three and so forth? Right, because one of the things, uh, you know, in a normal period that we see in the data is one of the things that that people like about flying a Southwest or a JetBlue is 
they're never disappointed when they get on the aircraft. They're only flying one or two different kinds of aircraft, either one type or two types of Airbus or a 737. So, but if you're going on a main line like a United or a Delta or an American, you know, as I, you've heard me say on this podcast many times, you know, people don't know what kind of aircraft they're flying until they get on the aircraft and they look right. And then they go, oh, you know, this is a small aircraft. I might have room for my overhead bag. I should have gotten in line earlier. Those kinds of things um, play into people's satisfaction. But however, in this environment, that smaller aircraft might be, allow you to be more flexible. And that flexibility may allow you to get more different, different gains in market share than you otherwise would in a normal demand period. So yeah, I, I would think that we're going to see some significant changes in market share uh, among these um, uh, competitors, and those flying the mono type of aircraft, the 737 or the Airbus, uh, might be at a disadvantage. Okay, thanks, Mike. Uh, Andrea, turning to hotels, we released the 2020 North American Guest Satisfaction Study last month with winners across six different segments. So uh, what were some of the key themes coming out of this year's um, study published? Yes, it was um, an interesting year for our hotel study, which uh, we start actually in June and we run that study through May. Uh, so our study started last year in 2019. So it was a pre-COVID, uh, kind of a pre-COVID view of how the, the hotel industry is doing overall in terms of guest experience. And there was some really good news. You know, our, uh, we, we cover six segments from luxury all the way down to the economy segment. And uh, the average satisfaction for each one of those segments um, went up over the prior year. So it means hotels really in all segments are generally doing a better job in pleasing guests uh, and guest satisfaction with with some of our metrics were actually the the highest ever. So, for example, when we talk about guest room cleanliness, it's more important than ever right now in the environment that we are in. Our hotel study showed that satisfaction with guest room cleanliness is the highest it's ever been. And we, we track this year after year. This is a question that we ask on our survey year after year. And so hotels before COVID were already doing an excellent job in terms of housekeeping uh, and, um, and guest rooms and cleaning and, uh, you know, kind of all of those things, right, that are in the guest's mind when they choose a hotel. So, that, so that's very good news. We also... Uh, had the sort of the second year of asking uh, good questions around communications and pre-state communications are uh, more important than ever. Um, they were important before, but now of course, pre-state communications have different meaning to guests when uh, it's, it's the time of COVID and when a guest selects a hotel, they're perhaps not sure what to expect when they arrive. They aren't sure what they are required to do in terms of safety. So our study shows, uh, of course, when guests receive these pre-state communications, they end up being more satisfied once they get the, to the hotel and, and have a, a more satisfactory experience while they're on the property. 
So um, our, our study was, um, I think, a good uh, pre-COVID baseline, if you will. Um, we have launched our 2021 study. So we are collecting hotel stays as we speak uh, during this time. And we are starting to collect information around what the guest is experiencing uh, on the property in terms of safety and cleanliness. So for example, we are asking guests if they notice the staff are wearing masks, for instance, or if they notice that, you know, the restaurant has properly socially distanced the, the tables uh, in the dining area or the restaurant, for example. So we're, we're collecting what guests are actually experiencing uh, during their hotel, hotel stays. And of course, we, we, we will continue to collect all of the key metrics uh, and key performance ind indicators that we've collected for a very long time. Well, that's great, Andrea. Congrats on the publish of the 2020 study. It will be interesting to follow the uh, results uh, in the new uh, year, the 2021 study, as we begin to collect them and publish them. Uh, Mike, turning to rental car, uh, it looks like Lyft is continuing their um, uh, expansion into rental car. They, they had a, a small experiment going on in Los Angeles, uh, and, uh, and they're now going to take that national, it looks like, with uh, Sixth. Yeah, and this really isn't a new phenomenon. It's nice that the marketing department kind of made it look sound that way, at least. But in the past, Hertz has taken the attitude of, well, if you can't beat them, join them, or at least rent the car to them. So you're going to work off some of your, or use some of your assets uh, more fully. And that's all this is, is there's just so many rental cars that are standing idle right now, especially in during this time frame. Um, that you're better off, you know, using those assets as best you can. And Lyft has a small enough market share in the United States, uh, but it, but enough of a footprint to actually make this work in market by market basis. Um, they're, you know, they tout themselves as the fastest growing rental car company in the in North America, and that's probably true uh, because they were able to have a relatively small base size. Um, but they're of course a little bit bigger in Europe. But this just sort of makes sense. If you can't beat them, join them, or as I say, rent the car to them. Uh, and really, everybody's just looking for, to get from point A to point B in the most efficient way possible uh, from the consumer side of things. Uh, and, uh, you know, the rental car experience can be a little cumbersome uh, rather than having that door-to-door -door experience that Lyft or Uber or someone else in a TNC world provides. So this seems to make business sense for not only for Lyft, uh, getting access to better cars, better maintained cars, and having more variety of cars available to them, as well as working for a sixth, which is a relatively low market share rental car provider at the moment in North America. Okay, thanks, Mike. Uh, so turning to digital, um, we continue to see innovation with travel apps. So recently, United announced a new notification feature that will uh, let passengers know if they've been upgraded or what their seat assignment is, and that will save you the um, kind of the time and effort of having to you know, stand in line and, and actually talk to the, the gate agent. Uh, so is this a um, is this something that we can expect to continue to see in terms of uh, these types of uh, added features? 
Yes. And one of the things we see in the airline, the J.D. Power, JD Power North American Airlines study, is that uh, people who are flying on aircraft like to have that engagement that's specific to them, that you're telling me about my ticket or my flight or my seat. So getting a notification on your cell phone, your own cell phone, about your own seat is only going to add to that personalization that people are looking for in that flight, that I'm not being treated as uh, you know, uh, one of a herd of cattle that are getting onto this flight. Um, but you know, United or someone, or the airline, in this case it's United, you know, reaches, reaching out to me and telling me very personal information about what I need to know about my flight and my seat. So this should drive engagement and also uh, create a little bit better relationship. Uh, and we have seen in the data, uh, to give a little kudos out here to United, we've seen in the data in the past that United does a very good job of personalizing those messages and make them sound like they're not coming from a machine, but from a real person that really cares about your flight. And that just happens to be, uh, you know, the simple choice of words that you use uh, or starting a phrase with, hey, comma, you know, your flight's about ready to take off, which doesn't sound like, you know, your flight UAL 744 is scheduled for departure at 7.22 a.m. from gate 65. That doesn't sound like a real person to anyone. Um, so United has already had a basis of trying to get that personalization up and creating that relationship with that person. And that, I think, at least based on the data that we see in J.D. Power, should actually drive those numbers up and drive satisfaction up as well. Okay, great. Thanks, Mike. So Andrea, just turning back to hotels for our last topic, uh, there was a recent story about hotel guests checking in for the long haul. So forgetting about long weekends uh, or even a week, uh, there are hotel guests who are now checking in for a month or longer. So so what's uh, what's going on here? What's behind this? Is this something we can expect to, to see uh, be a trend? Yes, yeah, so definitely a reaction to the environment that we're in. Um, and I think, you know, as uh, sort of COVID fatigue sets in on all of us, um, we all kind of want to get out of our space, right, that we live and work in now 24-7 and, uh, you know, have a change of scenery. And I think that that, that hotels, if they're creative, can really take advantage of this during this time. Um, there are some hotels who are actually putting together offers around uh, what we what um, I've read the term workations, where they're offering uh, premium internet. So if you you are a family and you have kids doing school during the day and mom and dad are working but everyone can have enough internet at the hotel to do this. And then after working hours, right, you can enjoy the, the hotel or the resort or wherever you're staying. Um, so it's a way, I think, for hotels to kind of uh, get creative with a, kind of increasing a, a little bit of demand around this idea that um, guests can check in to the hotel for a week or two weeks or even longer and have the amenities that they need if they're still working, right? Or if they have kids doing online school, they're able to accommodate that. So we'll have to see where this trend goes, actually. Okay, terrific. So that'll wrap it up for this time. Mike and Andrea, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. You're quite welcome. And thanks to our listeners for joining as well. To learn more about the J.D. Power Travel Practice, please follow us on LinkedIn. 
uh, or you can visit us on our, our website at uh, jdpower.com business. And we'll see you next time. <music>